Disclaimer, if you are offended by the odd bad word, honest opinions, open debate or insightful discussions, then perhaps you should listen to another podcast. Maybe about gardening or something. Whatever. Welcome to episode three of the Copycats podcast with Kenny and Harriet. This week, we are going to be discussing personas and messaging hierarchies. Within this, we're going to be covering what they are, how to create them, how to use them, how to get the most out of them. We're also chucking in some hints and tips, and we're answering questions that we got on social media over the past couple of weeks. So it's definitely worth a listen. Stay tuned. We've got some statistics to back up what we're saying, um, and we're actually going to give you ideas on how to implement these things, which was a bit of advice that we got from someone on social media. What you will notice or you might notice during this particular podcast is that we are recording on Skype, so it might not have our usual sound quality, despite the best editing, but that's for reasons that you'll you'll find out in the next few weeks and months. Um, But just bear that in mind. Other than that, thanks for everybody following us on Twitter, Reddit, uh, LinkedIn. I think we've had a bit of engagement individually. We're also thinking of jumping onto Facebook, so if there's any desire or thirst for the Copycats podcast to be on Facebook, let us know. We can get that up and running as another channel as well. So, yeah. And, guys, I just want to make a quick correction from our podcast last week where we were talking about research. I was talking about Myers-Briggs. I repeatedly said there were 16, 17 personalities. There are, in fact, 16 personalities, as Kenny stated. So I just wanted to iron that out now. And, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Shlomo Mo Goltz, interaction designer and user researcher at Heresy Social says, after using personas, my process became more efficient and fun, while the fruits of my labor became more impactful and useful to others. Never before had I seen such a boost in clarity, productivity and success in my own work. Uh, Using personas can drive a 111% increase in email open rate and a 171% increase in marketing generated revenue. So we're going to be talking about personas today. First of all, we'll cover what they are. Uh, then we'll get a bit into why you should use them, how to create them, and how to get the best out of them. Yeah, and I think those two quotes that you've just started with pretty much sum up the the why aspect of personas. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that, I mean, from, from my own work, I've noticed a real difference. When I understand exactly who I'm talking to in my copy and I've got someone I can picture in my mind that I'm writing to, it makes a world of difference. Ultimately, personas are the, a representation of your audience. And, and as the old saying goes, if you can picture one person in your audience and write to them, ultimately you're writing to everybody in that audience. Um, so it, it makes it makes perfect sense. It makes a massive difference. I think what a lot of people and a lot of businesses overlook is sort of to what degree do you need to research in order to get the personas and create them and then how to use them and and we don't want to cover over we don't want to go over old ground like we did in the in the last episode where we talked about research that's that's covered we've discussed how to get a lot of it but in this instance i think it's just a case of how you can um, how you can build that information into a usable document that's going to improve that you're writing, basically. Yeah, and that's it. And I mean, 
keeping it concise and creating something that can be used by everyone on the sales team at the company you're working at uh, for a variety of different reasons. Um, they're all important parts of creating a decent design, uh, persona document. So if I first explain a little bit about what a persona document actually looks like, it's generally a two-page reference doc. Um, it will have your typical buyer information, some key information it'll probably include. It'll be uh, a fictional name for your person that you're going to be talking to, uh, their job title and profession. You, it's good to put kind of a stock photo in there so you've got like a visual in mind of who your prospect is, their age and any other relevant kind of demographic information, some of the goals they might have in life, uh, their values, and whether it's B2C or B2B, kind of their fears or their pain points. They're kind of the key elements of a persona doc. The two for me that stick out are the fears and pain points, because obviously that's going to be the the things that you write to, if you like, but also the photograph. Yeah, I mean, picking that image, finding the right photo of your prospect based on all the other research you do is going to, you can't help but let that impact the way you write to a person. Yeah, and it is, it's, it's this, I don't want to use this phrase because it has been used and it's quite wishy-washy, but you can see the whites of their eyes. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people get lost in as well is this idea that, okay, I know my audience, it's Janet again, or <laughs> whoever it may be, but to see a picture of somebody who represents Janet and you can actually look into their eyes and say, okay, it's, it's back to the human stuff. You know, it's, it's, you, you can empathize with that person. You can understand that person. You can, you can feel that you know them on a deeper level by seeing them. Yeah. And that's it. And then that will influence your tone of voice and it will stop you from being overly formal in your copy as well. And there's so many benefits. Yeah, very much so. Um, so what is the best way then or where would you start? And I don't again, I don't want to necessarily go into the research, but what is it about personas that requires a slightly different tact with regards to the research process? I mean, because there's a lot of different ways you can gather this information, the the research you have access to is massively going to influence how you put the document together. Like for example, where we work, sometimes there'll be uh, questionnaires sent out to clients or there'll be telephone interviews and we'll have a load of data. And then it's how we interpret that data to get a good picture of the average person, that our average prospect. And how, yeah, it's how we analyze that data that massively impacts the end document. Again, with the research that we talked about the last time, this is this is stuff that's ultimately available. A lot of it's freely available. Some of it takes a wee bit of work. So with your desk-based research, you're doing the, the LinkedIn's, the forums. You've got your social media. And with social media, the, the other option there as well that a lot of people don't sort of use to its full advantage is the polls and any sort of quick one two question polls into a specific group really makes a big difference yeah um, the the surveys and this is one that I, I i always really value as well and it's not just creating a survey say an incentivized survey you know when an ipad or whatever which you then send to the audience i find personally the most valuable information comes from surveying existing customers yeah, I mean they've got they've built up a lasting relationship with the company. You're gonna they're gonna have a much better understanding of the things, uh, the positive and negative experiences of working with a business. And um, 
and they're going to know your product and what they do and don't like about it. And it's that asking the right questions thing again. Again, you have to sort of build it up, but you have to sort of exercise this to get better at it and practice at it. But it's it's asking the questions, you know, simple. Why did why did you buy your product? Why didn't you go with someone else? Why did you buy your product at this particular time? How did this product change your life at that time? Yeah, you know, and the 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 other options are, you know. Again, speaking to your current customers, if you were going to recommend us to someone, what would be the aspect that you recommend the most? You know. Yeah, yeah, and um, and equally, kind of what their what any negative experience that they've had with the company are, uh, mm-hmm. just so that you can correct that for the future. And um, and one of the things that and I'm, and I'm I'm doing a workshop tomorrow, and it's one of these things that I'm I'm definitely going to reference is when we speak to to clients, I always like to try and get past the person that we're actually talking to the actual whether it be the ceo or the cmo or whatever i i I like to try and get beyond that and ask if we can speak to the sales guys and the reason for that is because when you ask a company about the sales team they usually go oh we've got a great sales team you know john's closing four out of five deals and steven's doing 90 percent of target and i sit and i go brilliant that's great can i speak to john about the one out of five that he didn't sell or can I speak to Stephen about the 10% he never converted? And that's when you get to drill into the, okay, why didn't they buy it? What was the object, uh, the objection that you couldn't overcome? What was the issue that you didn't have an answer for at that particular moment? Yeah, yeah. And that's the real key bit, because at the end of the day, when you work in marketing, your goal is to, to generate leads, sales, customers, revenue, and ROI. For people like John and Stephen who are doing four out of five and 90%, for example, they don't need us because whatever they're doing is working in 90% of the cases. It's the 10% where we matter and it's the 10% where I need to find out what the problem is so that I can then create a response for it. Yeah, and I think that opens up a great new avenue as well for, I mean, once you develop a great a persona doc and you have those pain points to start content planning based off of those um, pain points that you've only just discovered that yeah. are a unique thing that you, you're not going to get necessarily see in competitors yeah and that's it that's that's a competitive advantage and it's it's one of those things that a, a, a lot of people don't sort of take a moment to understand the process with with writing design content that kind of stuff is a telemarketer, for example, phones somebody and says, do you want to buy this product? person on the other end of the line says, no, I don't want it. The telemarketer's got the opportunity there and then to say, why can't you buy it? Why don't you want to buy it now? And then if the person says it's too expensive, it's too inconvenient, the telemarketer's got the opportunity at that particular point to then overcome those objections one at a time. When yeah. we're writing, we don't have that opportunity. We've got, it's it's not a dialogue. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a one-way communication route, which means... When we write anything for someone, we have to make sure that it answers every question, real or potential, needs to be in that email. You know, we need to give them the answers to everything so that by the time they get to that call to action at the bottom, they don't have an objection left to stop them calling. Yeah, I think it's about making them realize that no matter how expensive it is, they can't afford not to have it, right? That's the the ultimate goal. Yeah, And, and that's why you can overly simplify personas to the point where... Everybody's got the same pain points, time and money. 
they dress it up in different ways. They use phrases like increasing efficiency and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's time and money. That is correct. In my experience, that's always the case. It's time and money. But the other thing that I find really helpful in persona documents, and it's really helpful and it's something that's worth pulling out, is it's back to what we talked about last week and probably the week before as well, is it's the emotional stuff. Yeah. You know, if you can sell somebody a product referencing peace of mind, I think that kind of stuff gets really overlooked in marketing. Again, it's it's because they use features to sell a product and not good benefits. But even the benefits, they seem to overlook this peace of mind, happiness. If you're talking to somebody in a B2B scenario and you can tell them about leaving the office on time at night, spending more time with their family and that kind of stuff. Yeah. They are massive, massive benefits that would sell a product. And the only way you're going to know that and be able to write for that is if you've done the research and identified that in the personas, you know? I think that's a part of the challenge you've got to overcome is getting behind the uh, the person that you're talking, the person's front that you're talking to and really understanding the emotions driving all of their responses. One of the things that we developed was a question that targeted uh, the person's personality and it asked for a few key traits that um, they identified with and that really gave us a much clearer idea of exactly who we were talking to how they like to make buying decisions and how they just kind of feel in their general day-to-day life and yeah going back to what you said about time and money as well I think what when you think about what's actually beneath time and money it's security it's love it's attention it's all the things that everyone kind of seeks out in life that's what it really is yep And that's another exercise that I try to do with people early in their careers as well is when you've created a persona document, let's say for argument's sake, you've taken on a client, you've started at a new company and they've given you the persona documents that are in existence. If you're talking to the owner of a startup company in London with 10 staff, say. Yeah. Most people will take that at face value and say, okay, I'm probably looking at a, a, somebody in his mid-30s, he's young, he's trendy, dresses like this, you know, and he drives this kind of car. And that's that's all good stuff. Don't get me wrong, that's all good stuff. But you've still got to do that deeper level thinking. Yeah. At the moment, the economy is is stagnant. He's just started a business. Most businesses fail in the first year. So he knows he's up against that pressure. He also knows he's got 10 members of staff who are all looking to him because it's a small organization. 10 members of staff means you've potentially got 10 families. You know, you've got 10 lots of problems. You've got 10 lots of mortgages or 10 lots of rent bills that are reliant on you making this company work. Yeah. You know, you, you, you all of a sudden you're starting to identify, forget the fact that this guy probably wears jeans and a sports coat. You're dealing with the fact that this guy is under a lot of pressure and he's responsible for a lot of lives. And that's a stress. Yeah, I think more than anything else, that weight of responsibility uh, can be a real pain point for a lot of people. Exactly. And then you start looking at the fact, you know, you do a bit of research and you find out that a lot of business owners suffer from uh, sort of loneliness at the top type stuff. Yeah. You know, they can't talk to anyone else in the business about their problems and their, their concerns because there's no one in the business at their level. They've got to maintain this front. So now this guy's stressed about the fact that he's responsible for 10 individuals, 10 different lives, and he doesn't even have anyone to talk to about it. That 
now you're really starting to get some sort of understanding of who this person is behind the eyes. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the opportunity to, yeah, bring bring that message of peace of mind and security and, and um, yeah, the ability to relax into their lives through your messaging. And, and and this is this is the thing. It's all we've done here is look at okay, what is the top level information we've got, and then do a bit of thinking beyond that. And and I think that's just a fundamental process that a lot of people overlook. A, a lot of this stuff goes on face value, um, and I think it's so important for writers in particular to to take a step back and continue to question it. Even when somebody says we've got a persona in existence, here it is. I still think there has to be a process of going, yep, that's fine. Let me digest it. Let me think about it. Let me think about this person. And that's why when you've got that photograph and you look into the whites of that person's eyes and you start to think about all these potential pressures and issues and feelings that this guy or this woman's got, you really start to think, okay, how can I write this email or this ebook or this social post that's going to show them how I can help them, how I can make their life easier, make their life better? Yeah. I think that's so true. And I think looking at your own emotions and how you actually react to things is a really can be a really good, um, a really good learning curve as well, because it's so easy to get caught up in an idea that when you're talking to somebody else, um, they're just a set of bullet points on a page. But actually, we all react emotionally to things and mm-hmm. staying in touch with yourself and remembering exactly how you react can be a great reminder when you're looking at that photograph and thinking, how, how does this guy actually think yeah. outside of all the day to day? Yeah. Very, very much so. And going back to the two quotes you, you you said at the beginning of the of the podcast, I have experienced that. I have seen the massive leap in engagement when you do implement good personas. Um, the open rates, which is talking about 111% increase in email open rate and 171% increase in marketing generated revenue. If somebody was to approach your business or your marketing team, and said, I've got a product here that can increase your revenue by 171%. And by the way, it's probably not going to cost you much than maybe an online survey. You would literally bite their hand off. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this is the bit where when I do speak to writers or I go into teams and I can see that they're not using this, I just think, what are you doing? How have you overlooked this gold that's been sitting there the whole time and for if you're a freelancer and you're just being airdropped in to write emails here there and everywhere fair enough you can only do what you can do but if you're working in a marketing team for example and or you're working in an agency and you've got a campaign that's been running for six seven eight months the data that you've gathered in the back end of that about all of the engagements all of the audience uh, touch points and, and what people have downloaded and what people have read and you can be adding to these persona documents on a regular basis and this is the other thing I find quite frustrating is when you see somebody who goes here's the persona documents for our audience and they're like three four years old yeah you know this is a living document in the same way that the economy changes the industry changes this person's business changes that means the persona needs to change as well that's very true. And I mean, people grow as well. People change. Yeah. And yeah, it's so important to have that reflected in your personas. Very much so. And it's it's worth mentioning, if you're doing personas for a marketing campaign, you need to have a persona for every decision maker. 
that you're going to be targeting. Yes. So you're, if you're going after the, the chief financial officer or you're going after the marketing officer, that would be two individual personas for exactly the reasons that we've talked about here, because these people have got very different feelings. They've got very different targets and approaches. And like you talked about with the the psychology stuff around it, both of those people are going to approach their job in such different ways. Yeah. And I mean, if we were talking about it from a B2C perspective, if you just look at like Coke and Diet Coke, the way they market those drinks is entirely different because they know their audience members are different. Yeah. And um, and the reasons that people choose to identify with those drinks are different as well. And so you have to have that foundation there. Yeah. And I feel... I feel in hindsight, last week we might, or last week, last episode, we might have been quite hard on a lot of the listeners in the sense that when we talked about the sheer amount of research that has to be done on every job. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people were sort of turned off by that idea. When I'm thinking about the stuff that we do for persona documents, as we're talking, I'm worried if we're going down that same road. But at the same time, I'm having that that realisation that this is it, this is how it needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, there's no other way. You have to, this is your foundation for how mm-hmm. you how you create the rest of your copy. So it has to be comprehensive. Yeah, there, there is people out there who will skip by it. Of course there is. And like we always say, good luck to them. But if you want to do it properly, if you want to see these results that we talk about, you know, 111% increase in email open rates, 171% increase in market and generated revenue, that only happens when you go to this degree for every decision maker that you're targeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, talking again about surveys and the kind of questions you want to ask uh, cu- existing customers and prospects if you have the opportunity to survey them. One thing that we found useful is asking about publications that people read. Mm-hmm. And that will give you a really good idea of the tone of voice that they're most receptive to, what interests them. You could find out more about their hobbies. Uh, there's so much in that that can be really relevant. Yeah. And that's one of those things that has come up in the social Q&A. For anybody listening who also follows us on Twitter, you'll notice that just before we start recording the next episode, I always throw throw a question out into the Twitter sphere just to see if anybody comes back with anything they want us to discuss. And in this instance, we did actually get a specific question, which was, uh, my struggle with personas is the hobbies and interest boxes. I can picture the whole day except for what they do in their free time. And this is something that you and I took on board and 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 started doing research on. And it's exactly what you're talking about now is we're getting into that. How do you then start to gather that individual type of research and results? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as we've said already, I mean, one of the most valuable resources is surveying customers and prospects. Uh, but there are other ways of doing it as well. I One of the things that, I quite like in that the the survey thing, there's always been this debate about if you don't incentivize a survey, will people do it? However, if you do incentivize the survey, will people just fill in any answer to make sure their <laughs> name goes in the box to win the iPad? And that's just one of those things. It's it is a difficult question. I can't say I've got the answer as I'm sitting here right now. I mean, I, we can certainly do some research on it, see what the, the sort of data says about it. But it is always one of those questions that makes you think, okay, am I getting the best information here? 
And I mean, one of the best ways I can think about it is if a brand asked me to do a survey, why would I do it? Mm-hmm. And how would I do it? Um, and I think it entirely depends on my relationship with that brand and what I think about them. Uh, for example, I, the thing that come to mind was the uh, mobile skins company that I spoke about the other week, whose yep. copy I really love. If they asked me to do a survey, I would probably answer it honestly because I really I respect their brands and I like what they do. Yep. Uh, if somebody else offered me a computer to fill out a survey and it was just some company that I'd never heard of that I didn't really give a shit about, I'd probably just yeah fill it in with any answer if I'm being entirely honest. Yep. So and th- and that's and this is why again. In today's day and age with the, the sort of technology that we've got and the capabilities that we've got, I, I still think there is a lot to be said for uh, gamification and, and competition style approaches. Yes. Yeah, because definitely. people, I'm going to say this here, and I don't know how true this is, but I can only assume that a lot of people are competitive by nature. Yes, I think that's true. I think we have to compete to get what we want, right? That's the culture we live in. And it's, uh, what's it, Darwin's? Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, then, if we take that as a back, and I think if you were to to create competition stuff where you could ask the questions that you needed to ask whilst prompting them to do something better or more than someone else, I think you've got a chance of getting a better response rate. I think that's very true. Be it um, posting a photo or a video or creating a joke or whatever it is. If you can, yeah, get inside that competitive spirit in people, I think it's a really great way. And again, and gamification as well, yeah. If, um, creating an interactive game that also asks them to, in some way, answer questions or follow yeah. a flowchart or a quiz. You know, there's so many ways you can gather information these days. And this is something that we are going to do in the next. I'm not even sure what episode it is, but we're actually going to dedicate a whole episode to this topic of interactive content because I still think that the value in that whole approach is yet to be unlocked. But to to give the the listeners a, a sort of brief intro on how that could be used, for example, is if you, when you're doing a survey, do it as an interactive quiz. So you would ask them a question with four potential answers when they click a wrong one, they get the "uh oh, try again" response pop up on the screen. They're engaging. They've got to be clicking. They've got to be getting involved. And then when they finish that question and they get the right answer, you go, "Well done, that's great." Which of the following is most uh, most important to you, for example? And then in order in order to get to the next question, what they're actually doing is filling in the survey without realizing that you are surveying them for quite valuable information with regards to their personas and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's the ideal way to do it. Uh, everyone is winning at the end of the day. The, the customer has a reason to keep on clicking through. They're, they're being entertained and you're getting the information you need to sell to them better. Yeah, and that's... The reason we've, we've dedicated the whole episode to it is because it's definitely something that I've been researching and following and trying to implement for the last few years. And... The, just the value in, in doing that is, is staggering. So we'll get into that in another episode, but that is definitely something that you could think about in the, the persona research stage. You know, the, trying to get beyond the answer these questions and win a, a £20 Amazon voucher, for example. And that's not to say that that wouldn't work. I'm just saying, could it be better? So social analysis is another method you can use to gather information. 
And one of my favourite websites in the world, as Kenny will know, is Reddit. And I Um, think this is something that I think you need to sort of, I think you need to use this platform to tell people about it because I know the value in it. I've seen the value in it. I know you absolutely love it, but I still see a lot of businesses overlooking it. So I think this is this is your soapbox, if you like, <laughs> to tell people why it's, it's so important to what we do. I mean, Reddit is incredibly unique as a platform in that it, it groups people off specifically into different subreddits so that they can explore a topic that most interests them. And you have all different people from around, around the world uh, posting on it. It has an upvote, uh, an upvote-based system where only the best content gets put to the top of the page. Everyone's very witty, which is always quite fun as well. But I mean, you, if you have a, if you're selling a product and you have an idea of that, what you know about the industry that your product's in, which of course you're going to, then you can go to that industry on Reddit and you can look at the subreddit and you can see what sort of people are there. You can click on their profiles. You can see the other communities they post in. Uh, you can see the way they talk. You can see how often they engage. There's so many opportunities uh, to to discover much more about your prospects. You can also advertise on Reddit. You can advertise in specific subreddits that you know your target audience are going to be uh, frequent in. There's so many opportunities there. Now, when you say advertising, you don't mean actual ads, right? I mean, you can. You can do paid advertising. And you can okay. also be clever about the way that you post on social media, um, on Reddit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, to gather information i mean if you want to ask people questions on there you can and I mean, find out much more about your audience when we started looking into this topic for the podcast the one of the examples that came up was if you're an athletic shoe brand you can use reddit search feature to find questions potential customers are asking about running shoes now we've already established in this podcast that you know my sneaker collection is is my baby you know and, and i certainly spend a lot of time on the sneaker subreddit yeah and to read the comments on there as somebody who if i if i if i owned a sneaker company and i went on the reddit sneaker subreddit i think most of the information i need would be on there because it's yeah. not it's not even just because there's a social aspect to it you can have one person for example going on and saying i don't like nike's new shoe design the next person cropping up saying oh i really like it i like this design feature i like this the original guy then comes back and says yeah but it's too similar to the one they designed in 1995 Hmm. and then all of a sudden you're in this scenario where your customers are debating the features of your latest product you know and if i was working for a company like nike just because we're talking about sneakers here that information is so valuable and is straight from the mouth of your customers yeah i mean i i can't believe it's not utilized more just for how much content you can get from this website um i was just trying to think about people in the in the b2c space who might have a more kind of dull product that doesn't have a specific subreddit dedicated to it say like i don't know you're selling shredders uh, home shredders but if you have an idea of the industry that your people work in um, and you can you go to a subreddit around that industry and look at more like a thought leadership approach and okay what are these people going through right now um yeah th- there's still ways to utilize the platform i'm almost gonna... certain that if you went on reddit and typed in home shredder there would be a discussion <laughs> somewhere because it is that vast that's true you know, yeah it's so big and, and so varied that 
someone somewhere will have asked that question before and there will be a discussion on it, you know? And if there isn't, start one. Yeah, yeah, just put, throw a question out there. Take five minutes, yeah. Yeah, and that's something else I've seen as well is it's, it seems to be a really a really vibrant sort of energetic social platform. You know, people will comment quickly. And you and I have seen it in person. You know, we can post something and within 15 minutes of the three or four responses on that topic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been one of our most valuable resources for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just thinking as well about, uh, as we talk about social analysis, one thing that we did that I think we mentioned in the first podcast was we asked somebody in our organization, we just got him in and started talking to him about his pain points. He was an IT guy and we were mm-hmm. targeting people in IT. And I think equally in the B2C space, if you know somebody who buys a product or if you can find somebody you know buys that product and sit down and just have a, a conversation with them one-to-one, um, that can be incredibly valuable because it cuts out uh, all of the all of the stuff that you uh, would normally get in a survey. Yeah. Uh, you have a relationship with a person, so they're probably going to be more honest with you. And it's that one-to-one personal uh, experience, which is quite unique as well. Yeah, and again, the, the 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 world we live in and the technology that's available to us, social listening tools, like actual technology, can pull so much information so quickly and so efficiently. Now, I think we're going to have another podcast on marketing automation, but I started working with the HubSpot platform maybe five, six years ago. And one of the options on there was to create um, targeted lists using specific keywords and phrases. So, for example, if you put in in marketing, for example, you're just going to get tons and tons of posts. But if you were to put in specific phrases, one of the things that they, they talk about is putting in your company name so that you can then be served every message that references your company name in some way so that you can then say, okay, what what is the the sort of the tone? What's going on? What are they talking about? What is the issue? You know? Yeah. And yeah. and as we're talking, we're now in this scenario where we're on a home shredder example, but the home shredder, for example, you could talk about uh, shredding, home security, uh, data security, and then the technology will actually sit and watch Twitter as it happens and then feed you the relevant tweets to go through. And again, that's massive. You know, the the, the manners it would take to do anything like that manually is unbelievable. Whereas nowadays, with the technology that's available, you can literally be doing this stuff, getting on with another job whilst this information is fed to you. And what you're doing is, is you're almost eavesdropping on other people's conversations about these kind of products your product potentially your company you yeah. know and, and that's vitally important information that a lot of people are overlooking that's it and you, when you see people that are really perceptive or br- brands that are really perceptive to that information and um more and more on social media you'll see brands being quite witty and clever and and that's a direct response to their audience that's from from sitting there and watching what people are actually saying about their brand and then responding to it appropriately and I think for me, at least, that makes me respect a brand so much more when they clearly actually understand what's going on. Yeah. Because you get some people that are so lost uh, that they just seem like they have no idea. And I think that's because they don't understand their audience. Yeah. So we've talked about the the best ways to research them, the the, the information, the where to find it, how to analyze it, how to put it all together. But for the benefit of the listener, and this is something that we're going to try and do more frequently in upcoming uh, podcasts is tell people give them sort of top tips and, and advice so with that in mind what are we 
what are we saying is a top tip for persona documents? So for a start, you want to keep data bullet pointed. It should be short and sweet, no longer than one line per piece of information. That way it's easier to read, it's easier for people to pick up and just immediately engage with it. The pain points and drivers for me is one of those things that I've seen personas where it can be two, three hundred words and then just at the bottom there's just maybe two or three bullet points about the pain points. For me personally, that's the important bit. Yeah. It's it's nice to know the background and, and all this kind of stuff and the demographic information, but I'm writing to the pain points and the drivers. So I would I would make sure that that is a priority of the entire process. Definitely. And I mean, if I'm in a rush and I haven't got a lot of time, then that is always going to be the first thing I look at is, yeah, those pain points. So, yeah, keep them front and center and put the most time and effort into getting that information. Uh, so another tip we've got is remember that these are not these personas aren't just one individual. They're representative of your whole of your whole audience. So you've always got to be factoring that in. And I think that goes back to the question that we got uh, on Twitter about how to identify the, the hobbies and interests. That kind of information is great to know. But if you're really stressing about, oh, I don't know if he plays golf or he, 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 he races cars at the weekend and stuff, that's not the most vital information. What you're trying to do is to create a, an understanding of your overall audience. You don't necessarily need to be getting to know each individual buyer on a personal basis. No, and I think... For me, one of the most insightful things you can do is get a better understanding of their personality type because that will inform if, say, they're introverted or extroverted, which will give you a better idea of the sort of hobbies they'd have anyway mm-hmm. without having to go, oh, they specifically play basketball and collect children's socks. Yep, that's an odd one. <laughs> but hey, if that's what the audience is into, mate, you've got to use it. Yeah. Give the personas a truly personal feel by adding a picture and a name. We talked about this earlier. For me, that's... I was going to say that's massive, and it's it's really not. It's literally a case of Google Image and a face of somebody who is a finance director or is somebody who represents your audience, and then copying that's and pasting it. that onto a Word doc. You know, it's a it's a fifteen second job, but it makes so much difference. Yeah, and a name as well. Like think about Janet. We've talked about. Her. I've, yeah. I've already got a picture in my mind of who Janet is. Just and I feel like I know her already. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so another is revisit percentage every six months, cross-referencing the existing document with new trends in the industry and the latest market activity. We've covered this as well. I think it's vital to keep updating your personas because the world changes, people change, and industries change, and you've got to keep changing with them. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I think is really important and it's worth mentioning is a lot of businesses for years now have been talking about sales and marketing alignment. And this whole made up war type thing between the sales and marketing team. Sales are moaning that marketing aren't giving them enough leads. And then marketing are moaning that sales aren't closing enough of the leads they're giving them and all this kind of stuff. Use your personas as the glue that keeps these two teams together because marketing can feed information into these personas with regards to what they know about the audience, which then empowers the sales guys. But equally, the sales guys can then feed information into these documents about the deals that never happened or the objections that haven't been covered yet. And like we talked about, you know, this needs to be a living document. And by having sales and marketing constantly adding to it, amending it, updating it, it just makes this really tight, unified team in your business that that are going after the same results, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone understands exactly who they're talking to. Yeah, it's just, it simplifies the whole process. Yeah, exactly. So I think that pretty much covers personas. 
how to do them, how to research them, how to create them, how to get the best out of them. The second part of this podcast is actually using that to create messaging hierarchies. And this is, I don't know how common this is as a tool, if I'm honest. So I was looking a bit online today about different messaging hierarchies and uh, the different names that they have. And I think people, uh, obviously people all understand the importance of a brand's messaging and how and their tone of voice and how um, this will impact your interactions with customers. But a this kind of uh, foundation of the company's core message and their USPs and how they relate to somebody's pain points, having that all in one document as the basis of your future work is vital, I think. So s- straight off the bat then, let's let's clarify it, let's get it out there. A messaging hierarchy is a functional document that shows the specific message for each pain point in order of importance. Now, one of the things that I really, really need to draw attention to here is something that we see on a regular basis when we are creating these for clients. You've done the persona research and you know the pain points of each of the people, each of the decision makers that you're going to be targeting. On the flip side of that, you've done the research that we talked about in the last podcast and you've identified the benefits of each feature the product does. So what you're doing now is you're marrying them up to say, if there's a scenario where we are talking about this pain point, this is the most appropriate answer to give that person, right? And when we create them, a lot of clients will come back and say it's not in the tone of voice. It's not in keeping with the brand guidelines. And what we continuously have to say is that this is a functional document. This is not a tone of voice guide. This is not a a library document that you can copy and paste for emails or social media posts in future. This is a functional document. It is simply a case of simplifying what your customers are suffering with and how your product solves that and putting them side by side on an Excel document, for example. Yeah. And um, and once you have that understanding, you can cherry pick that information and then inject it with the life of the brand. But, uh, but to keep things simple, having it there in this short, concise uh, and easily readable way is, is so much more useful because, yeah, you, it just gives you that immediacy of uh, understanding. And it can be developed. There has been instances where we've opened a second Excel sheet and I'll explain in a minute why Excel is the program we use for this. but. Sheet one on Excel will be exactly what I've just said, the functional messaging hierarchy. And then on sheet two, what we can do is show how this messaging can be turned into brand tone of voice or uh, bring across more values of the business. But that is a secondary document. It's not something that I would ever sell in as part of a messaging hierarchy. I'm just illustrating the fact that if you've got clients that are adamant that this is wrong because it doesn't have their tone of voice. There is obviously ways to overcome it and soften that transition into using messaging hierarchies. But it's just always worth mentioning or always worth remembering that that's not what a messaging hierarchy is essentially about. It's a functional document with no tone of voice, with no branding, with no guideline references taken on board at any point. It is literally a, this is the problem. This is how we talk to them about it. And I think... Again, it's 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 worth discussing the value behind doing it and the reasons for doing it because 
I feel like in the last two episodes, we seem to have given writers just an awful lot of work to do. <laughs> but I'm hoping they also understand the underlying benefits of doing it. And 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 with messaging hierarchies, it's it's the same. It's the same as the statistics we talked about in the persona documents. You will see an improvement when you bring these into to, to your work, you know? Yeah. And I mean, when you give workshops, um, and when I've been in the room with you, I've seen you talk about uh, the fear of being faced with a blank document for people that are just starting out or people that maybe don't write copy every day, but it's a part of their role. And with something like a messaging hierarchy already in place, you don't need to worry about starting with a blank document. You have this person's pain point and the solution right in front of you. It mm -hmm. might not be in the brand's tone of voice, but you've got this great starting point. It's, it just makes your job easier. Yeah, and with you and I, if I'm on leave, if I'm sick, if I'm just literally working on another client, you can pick up any job, look at the messaging hierarchy and know how to respond and exactly. know how to jump straight on, whether it's an email, piece of content, social media, it's irrelevant. You know what the pain points are of each of the decision makers and you know what you need to say to them. And and it just it makes, first of all, it creates a consistent approach. I think it's important. And secondly, it removes the issue of multiple writers or like you've just discussed, you know, somebody who, who isn't a professional writer can sit down and at least have a foundation to work from. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it just keeps everyone aligned on, yeah, that's it, on the same page. That's, uh, it's vital for that. Yeah. And in an agency side, at least, it's also a good way of at the start of a campaign, getting the client to sign off on the messaging. Yeah. And this is something that we we see it on the regular. It does happen, you know. We have the, the training with the client. We have the kickoff meetings. We know what we're doing. And then we start writing. And then they jump in and say, oh, no, we don't want to say that. We want to say this. Despite our research, data, knowledge, all of these things backing up and justifying what we're doing, they come back and they say, oh, no, we don't want to say that. We want to say this. If you can get the messaging hierarchy created and signed off before the campaign, it also means that the client is not going to get any surprises or any shocks going forward. It means that the the approvals process is going to be faster and more efficient for everybody involved. That's it. And if you do get a difficult client, you've got something to refer them back to and say, well, th this was okay. So this is the route we're going on. This is the route we agreed on. And yeah, it, it kind of gives you that firm idea of what the content going forward is going to be about. I cannot stress enough how valuable I find these things. I really, really do. Because you and I, we do the same job. We we create the same quality output, but we approach it in quite different ways. Yeah. But I know that if a job has fallen out of your schedule and it's ended up in mine, I don't have to worry because I know that you'll have done this level of research and will have, uh, will have sort of distilled everything down to the messaging hierarchy, which, which means I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have to go through the the fab research that we talked about. I don't have to go through the 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 researching of the the pain points and the audience and all that kind of stuff. It's 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 an it's an efficient process. And again, we've talked about it already, time and money. It's one of these documents that simplifies processes just across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And and anything that'll save a, a business time and money in today's day and age is is highly valuable in my eyes. I think that's true. Um so for anybody out there listening who has never seen or heard of or created a, a messaging hierarchy before, should we give them a bit of an idea of how to go about creating one? 
Yeah, very much so. And again, I've mentioned Excel, and I'll tell you for why. It's because these things, they usually fit in a table format. One column references the pain points, the other column references the message that we want to tell them about the benefit of that particular product. That's fine, it's straightforward. You could do that as a table in Word. But if you're doing it across multiple different decision makers, very quickly you can find yourself having to create more tables, create more columns. And if you're using Microsoft Word, it can just become a wee bit difficult and a wee bit stressy. I mean, as writers, we don't like Excel, but when you're doing multiple tables on Word, that in itself can be enough to tip you over the edge some days. So Hmm. for me personally, my top tip when it comes to messaging hierarchies is do them on Excel. That's straight off the bat. If you start with that, it's going to be a much easier job for you. I couldn't agree more. You've you've definitely seen me nearly having panic attacks some days trying to create massive tables in Word before you just went, yeah, get an Excel doc up and immediately resolve the, the issues. Yeah, exactly. So if you start with that, if you open the Excel document, you're halfway there in my eyes. Okay, so um, yes, yeah, so the next thing you want to do is take your pain points from your personas and order them in in yeah in their order of importance. So that means yeah, working out what the most important pain point is for your audience and then yeah, listing them down. Yeah, and that's something again. I see that I, I, it's a shame when I see it happening. If I see somebody who has done a survey and they've got all this results and they can see yeah, the the, the audience is really concerned about this, this, and this. Okay, which is the most important? I don't know. Well, if you're only sending one email and you've got to only put one message in it, which one are you going to pick? Yeah. You know, that's you, you, you've got a 66% chance of that email failing now because you haven't been able to identify what is the most important thing to those people. So that's worth bearing in mind during the research stage that we talked about earlier. You know, if you are surveying people, if you are talking to people, yeah, identify all of the pain points because all of that stuff is pure gold and it's super valuable but get it in order of importance as well find out what's the biggest issue what's the thing that keeps them awake at night that's it yeah if you ask them yeah what are the, your three biggest pains at the moment in order of importance and phrase that in the question you've, you've all the work's done for you yeah yeah very much so i mean the the as for putting the messaging hierarchy together, a lot of this information is going to be in existence. If anything, it's a formatting job at this point. You've got the pain points from the personas. You've got the features and advantages and benefits from the research that we talked about last week. So essentially what you're doing now is just identifying which benefit fits with each pain point. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and like we said, cut out all of the tone. You're not, this is never going to be seen by the customer. This is literally for the benefit of the writers and the marketing team. So take all of the tone out and just write in maybe one or two sentences. What is the best response to that pain point? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And as we've said already, you want to carry out this process for every decision maker that you're targeting and all of the products or services that you're selling. Doing all of those things in that order will ensure that you've got a really solid messaging hierarchy to work from as long as you put the effort into all of the research stages that come before it. Yeah. And and like the personas as well, this isn't something that the marketing team or the writers should create and then hoard to themselves and, and protect with their life. Share it. Share it with everybody. Because especially in big businesses, it's quite funny that the marketing team will have persona documents and messaging hierarchies, but that won't have been shared with the customer service department. Yeah. You know, it's really funny that you see businesses where People in the customer service department may be sending anywhere between 60 and 100 emails a day 
but they've never seen the messaging hierarchy to answer specific pain points. That's it. And they might not even know which of their audience's pain points are most important. And if yeah. you don't understand that when you're writing an email, you're, you're lost. Yeah. So with this persona document, the messaging hierarchy, yeah, you can you can do it creatively. It doesn't have to be a straightforward word document. You can speak to the designers, the creative guys. You can make it look really smart. Same with the, the messaging hierarchies. We write them in Excel because it's easy for us. That's not to say that the design team can't take it, work their magic with it and create two PDF documents, which yeah. you can then, which you can then share. Get it straight away into sales and marketing. Get those two aligned on both of these documents. And then from then on, if anybody in your business shows any sort of interest or desire or need for these documents, send them out. Literally get everybody on the same page. And that's it. And as we've said about uh, the persona documents, as the personas are updated and as your products and services uh, grow and change, these documents also need to be updated as regularly as possible to reflect that. Yeah. And I think with those two things, writing at least is going to be a, a much, much easier, a much, much easier job. Yeah, I think so. And that's why whenever I see anybody in in any scenario of, of, of copywriting or marketing, for example, when I see them sitting there in front of a blank Word document or I hear the word writer's block, that's why it breaks my heart every time I hear it because it's not, it only happens to people who haven't done this work. And when, yeah. you, ha- and when you have done this work, you are laughing, absolutely laughing, because you're now literally taking the message that you need that's already in existence and writing it in a way that suits the company tone. Yeah, it couldn't be simpler at this point. Yeah. I mean, and when we cover tone of voice, uh, another point in the podcast, I mean, yeah, once you understand your brand's tone of voice as well, there, there isn't really anything else you need other than, well, yeah, research, personas, messaging, hierarchy, and tone of voice. That is it in a nutshell. That is your personas and your messaging hierarchies. I hope makes a lot of people's lives easier. I really do. Yeah. Um, if you do the research, I can promise you your writing will become a lot easier. You'll have more time to be creative, to think differently, to approach jobs differently because you're not going to be bogged down in the administration side or the, the research stuff. You know, if, if you've got these two documents, you've got the freedom to think creatively and, and take people on a journey and actually use your writing to, to to not only generate the results that you want but also to to give you a chance to to be creative and artistic in the job that you do i think that's so true i mean this can seem so restrictive for people that are creative as well this sort of um this sort of method but one thing i've found to be true about any creative pursuit is that the more kind of boundaries you put on stuff the more structure you give yourself and restraint you give yourself to work within, the more creative you kind of get to be because you've yeah. got these limits in place. And that I find so useful. Yeah, that's it. So all the best, guys. We've given you all the information that we've got. We've talked through our process with regards to this. If you do anything differently or if you've done it in, in different ways or if you've found an easier way to get information regarding your customers or your, your prospects, by all means, let us know. We're on the usual channels at Copy Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're on Reddit. Mm-hmm. We're going to be looking at Facebook soon, I think. We um, are indeed, yeah. But you know how to do it. Get in touch any way you possibly can. What I will say before we finish this episode is next episode, we are going to do our best to have our first interview episode. We are indeed, yeah. With 
designers, no less. Um, these are people that we have worked with previously um, and are working with at the moment who have gone on to do phenomenal things in the world of design. Um, they, they, they certainly blow my mind on a regular basis with the stuff that they, they, they come up with. And we're going to talk to them about the sort of do's and don'ts of design and how to work with writers and, and that kind of stuff. So if you've got any questions that you want us to put to them, again, hit us up on the normal channels. Let's start with Twitter. Message is there and we'll make sure we get the questions to these people for the next episode. Just going to say thank you for all for listening. Yeah, any questions, anything you want us to talk about in future episodes, just hit us up on social and we'd love to hear from you. Brilliant. Right. We'll see you soon then, guys. Take care.